you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. Shotgun snap. He'll drop back into an arching spiral pass to the far side of the end zone over the shoulder attempt. Caught on the side of the end zone. Touchdown, Stephon Diggs. And back to throw. Cousins under pressure immediately. Hit it. Sacks it, Elias Smith. Ball over, Kirk Cousins. Single receiver to the left, and Cousins takes, fakes the handoff, bootlegs to his left. Gets a block, looks, waits, rainbows over the middle. Intercepted, Kevin King at the 10. Receiver in motion, Rodgers gets the shotgun snap, hands off to Jones, blocked from the guard at the 50, breaks free, broke a tackle down the sideline, 40. He's at the 30, the 20, kiss him goodbye, the 10, the 5, touchdown, Aaron Jones! What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Six, presented by AARP, DJ and Bucky with you. Wishing uh, everyone uh, a Merry Christmas here, Buck. We're right on the doorstep of Christmas. Right on the doorstep. Happy holidays, uh, however you celebrate. This is a great season, great time to reflect, a great time to be grateful for the things that we've been blessed with, and to look forward to 2020. And no doubt. And we had a, uh, a really fascinating Monday night football game with uh, some big-time playoff implications with the Green Bay Packers going on the road and knocking off the Minnesota Vikings to secure the NFC North title and, and keep the Packers' hopes alive still in play uh, to even get the number one seed in the postseason. So a lot on the line for the Packers as they come down uh, to this final week of the season, but a huge win for them. We're going to talk about that, uh, not only that, Buck, but how those teams were constructed. Um, and also, we had some pretty big news in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, how about Marshawn Lynch signing with the uh, Seattle Seahawks? I mean, shoot, man, let's, just, let's just jump right into that and talk about that, DJ. Like, I think what's interesting... <laughs> Go uh, for it, I, I think what's interesting about this move, um, I feel like Marshawn Lynch was the guy who gave the Seattle Seahawks their identity. As much as they talked about the Legion of Boom and those things, I, I felt like this team was kind of built around the beast mode phenomenon. Power football, being physical, being a finisher, doing all those things. And I think what's interesting, um, listening to Pete Carroll consistently talk about how they need to run the football and how that is kind of like how they're built on. But a couple of weeks ago, uh, Rhett and I had a conversation with Brian Schottenheimer talking about playing power football. Well, I think it goes back to it's really, Bucky, more than anything, it's just the mindset, right? You know, we want to be a physical football team, and everything comes off of our running game. Uh, when people have to worry about our ability to run the football behind Dwayne Brown and, and Mike Yapati and, and hand it to Chris Carson and those guys, uh, what it opens up for us with the play pass stuff, I mean, as you understand, is, is very, very difficult to stop. So, look, I mean, you, you can just tell the Seattle Seahawks are one of the teams that are kind of running counterculture in the National Football League by kind of hanging their hat on the running game. And with Marshawn coming back, I don't know how much he can give them, but I do know those five to seven carries that he'll get early in the game will kind of be tone setters. And I think what he's able to do is kind of whip the crowd into a frenzy, kind of get that defense and everybody charged up seeing 24 run. And then if he gives them anything beyond that, I think it's great because I don't think they have serious expectations of him being a guy that can carry it 20 times in a football game. 
what's your guess, Buck? If if he left, let's say, uh, if he left in a double X the last time he was there, <laughs> double XL, uh, when Marshawn Lynch comes back in for this game, does that still fit? It's going to be a tight fit because I saw I saw the, the clips that Tom Pelissero had <laughs> in the article. It's bigger, but I will say this about him, and I, I will liken Marshawn Lynch to Jerome Bettis. Like, they don't always have to be, like, super swell in, in excellent shape to be able to do what they do. I think the one thing that never goes away, his footwork. Um, for a big guy, he had great feet. Yeah. He could get in and out of cuts, and he could kind of dance in the hole. But I think what they really are looking for is kind of like a rock, a sledgehammer that can come and do some of those things. And for them to go and get Robert Turbin, um, that they're just still going to try and throw it in waves. But I think it, it's just the – ability to have the big fella in the backfield, maybe some of those four-minute drives to salt it away. Um, I, I just think it's kind of getting back to their identity. Yeah, I, I guess I don't know. I'm just skeptical on this one, man, to just walk right off the street and uh, and think you'll be able to go in there. I, I, I agree with you on the point that get the crowd energized. He'll bring a lot of uh, juice to a stadium that already has a lot of juice up there in Seattle. Um, but, man, I, I look at that matchup, and I think Marshawn's going to need a little bit of a runway to get going. And I don't know if you're going to get it against that front. I mean, maybe this is something that helps them uh, potentially in the in the first round of the postseason. Maybe they go on the road to Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't see it. I don't see an impact in this one against the 49ers. Maybe. No, I don't. I don't know if I told you this. Like this kind of goes back. Like remember, John Snyder uh, spent the bulk of his career under Ron Wolf, and Ron Wolf had a philosophy yeah. that at the end of every season, to bring in a vet. To bring in a vet just as an insurance policy, just in case um, when you get into the postseason. To me, this is another move where John Snyder is saying, like, look, I don't know how much Marshawn has left, but just in case we may be able to squeeze a little bit out of him, we get in the jam, maybe the veteran can give us one of those vintage performances. I kind of call it like, look, I'm not a Laker fan, but you remember when the Lakers had Ron Harper and Ron Harper would kind of sit at the end of the bench. He'd be stretched out. He would have the heating pads (laughs) on the knees. And then uh, Phil Jackson would kind of call him in. He'll come in and hit two jumpers, then get out the game. I think this is what Marshawn Lynch (laughs) is designed to be. He's going to come in and maybe give you five or six carries, maybe in a short yarder situation, kind of set the table. And then the the rest of the squad will kind of carry them over the threshold. But he is just the the jick policy, the just-in-case guy. Um, heading into the postseason because I do believe they do need a little juice and when you have three running backs go you need someone who kind of knows the system I think it's probably easier to get Marshawn up to speed than a young guy who's never played well this is not something we were going to talk about Buck but it just got me thinking here for a second I want to pick your brain on this Uh, you haven't been on playoff teams Um, you hear it I hear it both ways and I've been around some teams that were young and some teams that were veteran teams but you hear about oh, the importance of, of having the been there, done that factor on your team versus you also hear people say, ah, we don't know any better. We're young and we don't know any better. So just go out there and play loose and have fun. Uh, where, where do you come down on that in terms of what matters in the postseason? Um, I, I think experience matters in the postseason just because, um, DJ, you, you've been at those games. Like the speed of the game is so much different mm-hmm. in the playoffs than the regular season. And sometimes it takes an older guy to kind of look, hey, guys, Let's steady it out. Like, 
will we'll adjust to it. And sometimes because they play in those games, it's not overwhelming. I actually believe that is what happened last year with the Rams with C.J. Anderson and Todd Gurley. C.J. Anderson had been on that run with the Denver Broncos when they went all the way to the Super Bowl. And so in each round of the playoff, the speed, the tempo, and the intensity escalates. And if you've been there before, you kind of settle in quicker. And so there is a value to having a veteran, but it doesn't guarantee anything because sometimes the young guys are more talented and they're just better. And so, but I do think coaches like having that that veteran uh, kind of in the locker room, in the huddle, someone that can kind of be a calming influence when you have a bunch of young guys on your squad. You know, it's funny because I, I bring that up because I talked to some buddies in Philadelphia and they actually brought up this point. They were like, look, yeah, we're beat up. Uh, we know we're not a perfect team. We're a flawed team. But they said, look, we get into the postseason. Mm. We've got a lot of guys with a lot of pelts on the wall in the postseason. You know what I mean? Like you get in there, you start looking at the Zach Ertz, the Fletcher Cox, the Brandon mm. Grams, the, the Malcolm Jenkins, the, the Kelseys. Like these guys have been in a lot of postseason situations. They've won a championship. And, the, and they believe inside that organization that matters. Hey, DJ, like to go back, and I know we, we didn't we, go, we weren't going to go this route, but let's talk about it like – I believe that was the biggest difference in them knocking off the Cowboys on Sunday. Um, Malcolm Jenkins played his tail off. Like, I was like, man, what happened to Malcolm Jenkins? Like, he is fired up. He's frothy. He is running around <laughs> making plays. Fletcher Cotts showed up and made some plays. And so as much as kind of some of the no-names made plays, you still had a bunch of guys who, who felt the confetti fall on top of them. And I just believe that experience matters. And when you get into the postseason, the one thing we know, man, all – all the, the records are hit reset. Everyone is 0-0. Oh and, oh. and all you have to do is win three to have an opportunity to play for the, the Lombardi. And so if you're the Philadelphia Eagles and some of these other teams that have some veterans that have kind of been through the fire, it certainly matters. And just look at the New England Patriots and how their experience always gives them a chance to pull off the improbable. Oh, to summarize it, it doesn't matter if you come in with the Cobra Kaiser, if you're the Miyagi Do Karate. <laughs> it's just get into the tournament, baby. Just get, Once in the you get into the tournament. You got a shot to win the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> that that uh, is really right, what it is, game, for man. sure. Uh, give me your. Th- <laughs> it's true, right? It doesn't matter. Uh, your thoughts last night? Uh, what happened with the Packers and the Vikings? Okay, man. Look, like, so here's the funny thing. I think I'm so conditioned to see the Packers play a certain way that it's so odd and unusual to see them in a different way. And I'm going to say this, and I know many people, like, I know we, we don't take shots at the greats. Aaron Rodgers didn't have his A game. He didn't have his fastball working uh, last night. He was just off a little bit. The, the defense had kind of um, kind of affected him, harassed him a little bit. But what the Packers were able to do, they have been able to lean into their running game. This year, more than any other year in recent history, they have been able to really hand the ball off to a running back who has been a difference maker. Aaron Jones, 23 carries, 154 yards, two rushing touchdowns. His ability to steady the offense and to give them kind of that grinded out effect, it enables the Packers to flip styles and to play a different way. So often we're, we're used to seeing the New England Patriots kind of do this We're not used to seeing the Packers say, hey, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to lean on our defense, our running game, a couple plays from Aaron Rodgers, and we'll win the game, and we won't worry about what it looks like. To me, I'll give Matt LaFleur a lot of credit. I didn't know what kind of coach he would be, but I give him credit for being able to build an offense and build a team that is comfortable winning with a few different styles. And I'll flip it over to the other side. I went this morning and watched all of Kirk Cousins' throws in that game, Buck, and I thought they did a really good job defensively. Number one, 
kind of widened out a little bit on the edges. He wasn't able to get outside, uh, mm-hmm. which is where he was comfortable. I thought early on in this game, this is something I, I was kind of baffled uh, watching the Chargers play, uh, really against this Vikings team as well as the Raiders the previous week. When you have teams that want to just throw stick routes and it's just three-step balls gone and you can't, it's tough to get home in those situations. If you can't get home, get your hands up. And I saw them get their mm-hmm. hands up early in that game, knock a ball down. Um, they kind of smothered this group. Didn't really show much respect uh, to this receiving court. Now, they got beat over the top a couple times, but, man, for the most part, Buck, um, it was smothering. And and anything they caught underneath, it was rally and tackle. And then once it came down to it, it was Darius Smith one-on-one uh, against Riley Reef, and that did not end well for the Vikings. <laughs> no, it didn't end well for the Vikings. I, uh, DJ, I think this is one of the things that I, I probably got frustrated on Sunday watching the Cowboys-Philadelphia Eagle game. You talk about everyone living on the quick game and the stick routes. The only way you can stop those things, you have to um, be willing to walk up and challenge the wide receivers at the line of scrimmage and hope that you can yeah. get an early rush or get hands up to kind of alter the way the ball comes out from the pocket. If you sit back in a traditional zone, and just hope the quarterback is going oh, going to miss. Ceiling. Man, like t- quarterbacks are too good. They'll just paper cut you all the way down the field. And so for the Green Bay Packers to play very aggressive at the line of scrimmage against what I think is one of the better one-two punches on the outside in Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs, it did show like, I mean, maybe a lack of respect or maybe a lack of respect for the quarterback. But regardless, they knew that they couldn't allow Kirk Cousins to throw in rhythm and, and, and on time to his playmakers. They changed it up, and they were able to win because they won on the outside, and then Zadari Smith just absolutely dominated the game on the inside. No doubt. And uh, I want to get into uh, how these teams were built a little bit here. We've done this on a previous episode. I think we did it on, what, the Niners and the Seahawks? Yeah, we did on the Niners and Seahawks, yes. um, So looking at these two teams, I want to take a little bit of time here and go through this. So uh, let's start with the quarterbacks. Obviously, uh, the Packers drafting Aaron Rodgers when they already had Brett Favre. Everybody knows that story. Then you have Kirk Cousins uh, comes over with that all fully guaranteed deal. I, I went back um, and found my reports, Buck, on these guys. And, and uh, I'm going to pull up a little bit on Aaron Rodgers here. Uh, my eyesight's not that great, and this print is so small. But I'll kind of kind of get to the, uh, to the end of the report here. Uh, where is it here? Hold on one second. It's so small. This is in like an Excel document, and so this. Oh, thing is I, so oh I know. Uh, I know. Didn't play the bowl game versus Texas Tech. He was without his leading receivers, but still didn't throw the ball with the same confidence and accuracy as he did on tape. While undersized, he has all the tools to be a solid starting quarterback in the NFL. Um, you know, I talked early on about how um, led the Bears with a, uh, within a completion of an undefeated regular season. Mm-hmm. Uh, completed 66% of his passes, 24 touchdowns, eight picks. Also had three rushing touchdowns. Uh, under, undersized QB, extremely productive, efficient. Um, he completely bought into the mechanical fundamentals that Tedford stresses. Uh, clean footwork, uh, holds the ball up by his ear. Remember that? He mm-hmm. ended up dropping it down and loosening up a little bit. Yep. But I think the one thing that kind of stood out to me going back through his report, Buck, is Unless you've stood next to Aaron Rodgers, you don't. Re- he's not a big guy, man. He is not a big guy at all. And, uh, no, he's he not a big a guy. Live, live arm. It's funny how you you said you went back. So I went back and I um, highlighted the summary from my report, and I just kind of took some notes. And the interesting thing when I go back, I looked at the grade I gave him. I gave him a seven point oh on a scale that goes up to 8-0. And so that is a bottom of the first round grade. And in fact, during the West that year, I gave. Uh, Aaron Rodgers and Alex Smith, the exact same grade. 
I gave both of them seven O's. So did I. And so as they were stacked up. I gave them both six eights with a very little, very similar grading skill. Yeah. like and, and so they were stacked up like side by side. And it was just a matter of preference. Um, with Aaron Rodgers, uh, I highlighted like efficient passer, consistent rhythm thrower, very systematic. Does a great job of working through his progressions. He's a distributor. He lets his playmaker makes plays. Um, and I actually thought he's the perfect West Coast quarterback in terms of, look, the ball comes out. It doesn't waste a lot of time. He gets it out. Um, as you noted, he did have the ball on the shelf like Tefford had done with so many of the quarterbacks. But I talked about him being a solid NFL starter in time. Um, and I think that's what uh, kind of similar to what I wrote about Alex Smith. And so, you know, look, you grade guys how you grade them. He was disappointed he didn't go at the top. But I think a lot of the things that we're seeing in him um, – in his heyday, were a little different. We didn't see as much improvisation from Aaron Rodgers as a collegian as we have seen him in Green Bay. We knew he could move around a little bit, but we didn't know he would be this guy that could kind of play off-platform and make these second-reaction throws, and that would be kind of the basis of the Packers' offense. I kind of thought he was a guy that, hey, I get to the top of my drop. I got the playmakers. It's one, two, three, and I play. And so sometimes it's funny when I see this offense get out of sorts because Rodgers doesn't necessarily show the discipline to kind of work through the progression and just kind of let the play work for him. It is so different than how I viewed him coming out, how he's improved dramatically, but also has kind of changed his playing style over the years. I wrote in my report, Buck, it appears on tape that most of his reads, most of his reads are, are determined pre-snap. He knows where to go. He gets it there quickly. He's exceptionally accurate underneath, and the USC game completed his first 23 passes. Yes, I remember that game. His first 31. Yeah. Of uh, of the first 23 completions, three passes were over 10 yards. Yeah. One out and two curls. Um, so it was back football out, back football out, exactly like you described. And the funny thing, if you looked at Aaron Rodgers, if you went back and watched him at Cal mm-hmm. and watched how he plays now, you could make the case, other than the fact that he was extremely accurate and he's still extremely accurate, mechanically completely different stylistically how he plays completely different i mean it's a, it's a totally different quarterback it's a different quarterback and so like let's use that to just think about like how we think about quarterbacks now we, we talk about the evolution and using our imagination i don't think my imagination would ever allow me to envision aaron Rodgers, the aaron Rodgers that we saw at cal evolve into the player that he is now in terms of his playing style because he didn't show any flashes of that at Cal, that he would be this guy that would run around and discount, double-check, and do all. He didn't do any of that. And so, look, credit him, but also he had three years to develop on the practice field before he was forced onto the field. And I know that Mike McCarthy really kind of tore down his mechanics and kind of built them back up. And so maybe that is the deal um, as to why his game was able to evolve over time because he had more time to really work on it in practice as opposed to being forced to play and have to deal with the harsh scrutiny that comes along with that as well. All right, let's get to Kirk Cousins here. This is my uh, Kirk Cousins report. Uh, Three-year starter, lean frame, lines up under center in the gun, foot quickness in his drop, avoids false steps, Uh, high quick delivery, can generate enough velocity to make all throws at his best when he gets a good pre-snap read, hits his back foot and gets the ball out. Accuracy is consistent in the quick game. Gets in trouble when his first read's taken away. He'll either panic or force the ball into high traffic areas or freeze up and take bad sacks. He lacks poise and playmaking ability when things break down. He loses his cool. 
Uh, needs to improve uh, ability to anticipate uh, on intermediate and deep balls. Has the arm strength to get the ball there, but he waits too long and allows help defenders to get involved in the play. Very accurate on design rollouts. Uh, he's good at squaring his shoulders when he rolls left, putting the ball on the upfield shoulder. Ball security needs to improve. Had a bad red zone pick against Ohio State. Overall, this player has a lot of areas to improve in this game, but I do like his arm and athletic ability. I can endorse him as a potential starter, but has the tools to be a very capable and dependable number two. <laughs> so I was a little bit lower on uh, on Kirk Cousins than what no, he's but, been, but I think some of the negatives in there you've seen creep up. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, look, man, I think he, he is what he is. DJ, I, I went and watched him. Uh, I think he played in the Big Ten Championship game against Russell Wilson, if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember if they were on the same side yeah, or whatever. I think but, that's right. Yeah, but I went and watched him, and I, I did a report because I, I didn't cross-check him, but I, I remember looking at him, and I, and I wrote down, look, man, solid overall player, leader, uh, connected dots type. Doesn't have necessarily blue characteristics um, in terms of arm strength and arm talent, but does just enough to get the job done. Uh, I wrote at the bottom of my report, developmental player, a guy that could grow into being a starter, but he's someone who would need time to grow and develop into being a guy that can kind of run an offense and run a team. I mean, it was nothing. Yeah, I think that's it. Like nothing, just very non-descript. There was not a lot of wow or sizzle factor to him. And I think – you know, when we go back and we read our reports on players and you go back and you think, like, look, he came in at the fourth-round pick, and I, I believe that's kind of what he was. And he played really well for the Redskins in that system. And I think um, the thing that we can learn about Kurt is, like, man, look, there's a path to victory for every player. There's a path to success for every player. And I think Kurt has a, a lane um, that works for him. I think the offense that he's currently playing in really works for him. The, the stretch boot system getting the ball out, using movement um, passes, using some drop back, but drop back off play action, that's what works for him. I do not believe that he is a guy that can drop back like traditional straight drop backs without the threat of the run and throw it 40 or 50 times and win on his arm talent alone. And so I think when we we saw a game like um, Monday night, we saw a Green Bay Packers team that was able to suffocate the run probably because they didn't have the running backs necessary to do it. Uh, When you have to put it all on Kurt, and Kurt has to win it without that stuff, it's tougher for him because I don't know if he's purely talented enough to be able to overcome some of those things. Well, I think it's I think it's possible to say this about Kirk Cousins. You can be a very good player without being a playmaker. Yes. And I think that's what he is. I think he's a good football player. He is not a playmaker. He is not going to create something that does not already exist. He is going to paint between the lines. Yeah, uh, like that's how that's how he plays and that's that can be a good thing and a bad thing. Look, man, the best way that I could describe it in my report, I said, look, he's a connected dots player. Um, uh, as you talk about, like, opening up your coloring book and you just kind of paint by numbers, for him, I think that's very much like it, like it is. When the coach draws up the play and he says, hey, this is your progression, one to two to three, if those things fall in order, I think he understands that. Anything that's out of whack, anything that forces him to deviate from that normal track, he doesn't have – the ability to do it. And so it just puts a lot of, I won't say stress, it, it puts a premium on the coaching and it also puts a premium on surrounding him with the right weapons where those guys can win so he can stay on script. But look, you look, he can't change. He is who he is. I just think you have to know exactly what you're dealing with when you have Kirk Cousins. You can win, but you got to have the right things around him and you got to have the right system in place for him to be able to win consistently. 
Uh, so we've talked about the quarterbacks of these teams, how they were built. If you look at how the roster is constructed, it's darn near identical. Uh, the Packers, uh, 28 of their guys drafted. The Vikings, 30 of their guys. Free agency and waivers, the Packers, 24. The Vikings, 23. Uh, the Packers have one trade uh, player on their team via trade. The Vikings don't have any. Uh, but I think what's notable, what we could say about um, this area of roster acquisition that there's been a big change there. You knew with Ted there in, mm-hmm. in Green Bay, he was not a free agent guy. Did not like to me. He liked to grow him up and re-sign him, and then that's how they did it. That's how they replenished their roster. And I think you've seen a much more aggressive approach and, and no better example than uh, Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith and the impact that they've had on this defense. Yeah, look, it, it has been a little deviation in the philosophy. But going back, having spent three years in Green Bay as a player, I can tell you part of the reason why the philosophy was like that was because there was a time in the early 90s where you couldn't get players to want to come to Green Bay as a free agent. Reggie White was the first um, big-name free agent to come to Green Bay, and it kind of led others to come because, like, to be honest, it wasn't a place where um, many blacks played or many blacks felt like, oh, I could go and do that. And so Part of the reason why the Packers had a philosophy because if you drafted, developed, re-signed them, that was a way that you could secure your talent and make sure you got it. Well, Green Bay has grown. The city is a little different than it had been in the early 90s. And you're seeing more people say, oh, I'll go to Green Bay and play because it is a very small town field, but it's very, very easy and friendly for the players. And I think what Goody has done is he's taken the philosophy that Ron Wolf had and he's kind of stretched it out a little bit because Ron would make an occasional play for a free agent. But I think what Goody is doing is like, look, man, that's a lot of pressure to say, hey, we're just going to draft our own, sign our own or whatever, because it means you have to hit on so many picks and it's just impossible to do. So now let's draft what we can and hopefully that nucleus will come out of the draft and then the free agent market will allow us to kind of plug and fill in the holes. And what we've seen since Goody has taken over, that's what they've done. They've done a really good job of filling in the holes with guys from the free agent market, and it's really worked out well. This is, like for both teams, this is the way that you have to build a team in a modern era. Yes, you lean on the draft because it's the most economical way, but you also have to go and get the players that you need to fill out the rest of your roster. And when you flip it over, Buck, to the to the Vikings, really, really in terms of paying guys, been really more paying their own guys. I mean, Riley Reef, um, they went out and got him uh, as a free agent. But for the most part, you're talking about guys like Adam Thielen getting re-signed. You're talking about Anthony Barr getting a bunch of money. Um, they have a lot of money tied up into that linebacker group, by the way, which is one of the better groups uh, in the league. But it's been a little bit more of, of kind of take care of your own there and not being quite as aggressive, which after seeing what the Packers have done, uh, maybe uh, Spielman, Rick Spielman in this mm-hmm. upcoming offseason might lend himself to be a tad bit more aggressive. Um, I guess obviously you'd have to say Kirk Cousins was the big uh, was their big, that was the big splash. That was the big. Uh, I guess I can't that, leave that one out. So yeah, that, 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 that was, was the big, big acquisition. Get. Yeah, that was the big get, and that was the one that they were hoping would push them over the top. It hasn't worked out yet. We'll see how it plays out in the postseason. But, yeah, like the the entire thing for the, the Packers and the Vikings, the Vikings, look, you want to draft to have everything in place for when you need that big marquee player. They had tried to draft a quarterback. They had done it a couple times, and it hadn't necessarily worked out. Christian Ponder being the last one that they kind of invested in. So they tried to go and get an established player like Kirk Cousins, thinking that, look, we got everything in place. We just need to put the cherry on top of the Sunday. And 
he's been okay. I, I mean, I'm sure they expected more for what they pay. But look, he, he's a solid starting quarterback. We'll see. The big thing will be he has another. Kirk Cousins has another year on his deal. How do we? How do the Vikings attack and approach the quarterback position? Because if they're going to move on from Kurt at the end of his deal, they probably need to draft a quarterback this year so they can get him ready to be the starting quarterback in 2021. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how the Vikings play this out. But yeah, like both teams are built in similar fashion. Uh, they want to draft, they want to develop their own, and then just add a few critical pieces in free agency to help them get over the top. Well, we talk about those two general managers, Goody, as, as we all call him. Brian Gutekinds is a kind of a career scout that worked his way and climbed up the ladder uh, and is doing a nice job there with the Green Bay Packers. And then Rick Spielman, same thing, somebody who really worked his way up through uh, uh, personnel. Obviously, everybody knows about his connection with Chris there, his brother Chris. But uh, uh, really two guys that are very well respected by the scouts around the league and, and two guys are doing a really good job with their with their organizations. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think the thing that, that we could talk about in terms of looking at both of their backgrounds. Um, Brian Gutekus comes from uh, a college scouting background. He was a lifelong scout. He's a guy that did most of the, the work on the road, like you and I did working um, in the college game, which is mm -hmm. evaluating prospects, setting up boards, trying to project what a player will be at the next level from the college ranks. Spielman has some of that experience, a couple years as a college scout. Then he kind of mixed his experience in Detroit as a college and pro scout. And then from then on, he's been on the pro side. And you and I, like, we could talk about the differences, but to go from college scouting to pro scouting, when you're scouting college, it is apples to oranges because you're projecting what an apple can be mm -hmm. as an orange. When you are a pro scout, it is orange to orange. It's just a matter of trying to figure out how they yep. fit. And what may happen is because of those experiences you may see them lean a certain way when it comes to philosophical like the way you figure out how you want to build your team um it's interesting though that brian gutekis has been more active in free agency because you would think based on all of that experience in the college world that he would feel like the strengths his strengths would be hey let's draft and develop it so it says a lot to him that he's like mm, no. maybe let's go the other way <laughs> Yeah, no doubt. To me, pro scouting, we used to always joke, was just something you could do if you just go buy the football cards. It's not that hard. But uh, the, the, uh, the thing about the pro side is it's more about allocation of resources, you know, what uh, assessing the proper value for players in terms of who you want to pay and, and where you want to spend your money. But for the most part, it's, it is oranges to oranges. You know if they can play or not. College-wise, you're projecting it's much dif more difficult. Um, that's why I think uh, I, I obviously like some that has a well-rounded background, I think, to run your organization. But given the choice of having somebody with experience in one or the other, I would lean towards somebody in college because um, that, that's going to lead you into the draft, which is the lifeblood of any uh, organization, in my opinion. So uh, both those guys have experience in that area. We look at coaches, Buck, just, just quickly here. LaFleur, mm -hmm. you've got the young, kind of bright, up-and-coming coach. And then you've got Zimmer on the other side, uh, defensive guy, obviously uh, been around forever. It just really shows you that, to me, it's not about necessarily um, the X's and O's. While Lafleur is is very well versed in the X's and O's, and Zimmer is one of the best defensive minds in football, you're trying to find the best leader. And I think both these guys do it differently, uh, but they've proven that they're very uh, they're very solid in that area. Yeah, I, I think they have done it in in different ways, but both have proven to be solid. And I, I had the biggest concerns about Matt Lafleur in the at the outside. 
at the outset just because, look, man, he, he hadn't been in charge of a room, but for really one year he was offense coordinator for the Tennessee Titans. And it's less to do about X's and O's and more to do about, hey, can he lead a group? And some of the reports that you heard out of places where you've been, hey, look, man, he, he's kind of an introvert, not necessarily a forceful leader. So you wondered how his personality would work uh, in front of the team, and specifically how would it work with Aaron Rodgers. But he has done a really good job of being able to take Aaron and handle the personality give Aaron what he needs and some of what he wants offensively while still building this team in a way that you have to be constructed to win your division and really to compete with the top teams in the NFC. So that's a credit to him. He also inherited a team that I felt like still had a solid foundation in place, even though Mike McCarthy had struggled at the end of his tenure. I still felt like there were some intriguing weapons. He had a quarterback in place. He had some young guys and Aaron Jones, a running back in place, had Devontae Adams. But he has definitely done a really good job of getting this team to the next level. And also, his hires, retaining Mike Pettin, so there was continuity on defense. Probably a smart hire because now when you come in, you only have to worry about revamping one side of the ball, not both sides of the ball. And so it has worked for them. And so give him credit for having a vision for how this team would play out and for getting this team to play to his vision. I think it's, it's interesting when you look at the the contrast here Lafleur, young offensive coach um he has a veteran established defensive coordinator mike pettin who uh, was mm-hmm. around for a long time with the baltimore ravens been around forever very well respected then you flip it over you've got zimmer been around forever on the defensive side of the ball old veteran his offensive coordinator the young kevin stefanski young fresh ideas kind of some new school way of thinking there it, you're always trying to find that balance and i think if you find yourself on a staff with a, with all young dudes that's not necessarily a good thing. You find yourself on a staff with all old dudes. Don't necessarily think that's a good thing. I think you have that balance of that energy and the fresh, the young ideas versus the tried and true, the stabilizing forces of the older coaches. And I think both these groups have a good mix. Yeah, I think I think that's important. I think um, the, the diversity that you speak about on the staff, young and old, a mix of experience, uh, guys coming from different things, because ultimately you want to have a melting pot in terms of a think tank where you have different ideas that are able to kind of balance out the team and enables you to kind of live in a few different worlds while still maintaining like the identity of the team. And I do believe Green Bay needed an infusion of youth and energy for Matt LaFleur. And even though he may be a little more introverted, that that youth, that that young exuberance probably shows out in practices and in meetings and those things. For Mike Zimmer, he's kind of like the dad, the steadying hand, the one that can kind of challenge and get on <laughs> players um, while picking them up. And then you think about Stefanski on offense being the young idea guy. But remember, he did a great job of surrounding Stefanski with Gary Kubiak who is the master of the system that they're doing. So now you always can go to the wise old elder and get wisdom and ask, hey, well, what do you think about this? And so I do believe it works. And I think all coaches, particularly um, those who are trying to do these rebuilds on the fly, all coaches should lean to some mentors and some guys and have a mix of experience because it only makes the team better when you have um, a diverse group uh, at the front of the room. No doubt. Uh, you bring up a great point there. Um, all right, Buck, I think we're I think we're about done, man. Anything else you want to add before we get out of here? No, that was pretty cool, man. Like, DJ, I know like we've talked about from a philosophical standpoint, um, building a team. If we were ever to build a team, the best way to do it is to build it to win your division. And when I look at these teams, I think they're definitely not only built to play in the NFC North, 
both teams are built to win the NFC North because you got to contend with quarterbacks. You need to be able to control the ball. So running is a key, and you have to have the right components on defense. And when I look at these teams, they have pass rushers, they have corners, and they have fast guys at the second level that can make plays. That is why both of these teams were able to battle it out for the NFC North crown. Well, there you go. And that uh, crown will go to the Green Bay Packers. We'll see both these teams in the postseason, though. Uh, their dreams of a championship very much still alive. All right, that's going to do it for us. I want to wish you guys a, a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Uh, thank you so much for checking us out. Uh, we got a great episode coming next week. I think we teased that previously, but we've got that coming up next week, which is going to be a compilation of the uh, the best sound we were able to gather uh, mm-hmm. from talking to all these coaches that we've talked to this year, which is going to be phenomenal. I think you're going to really enjoy that. Uh, we've got another episode coming up on Thursday where we're going to take a look at uh, some big NFL matchups as well as the college football playoff and what to expect there. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, Buck, Merry Christmas, man. Hope you have a, a wonderful, wonderful holiday. Uh, what do we what do we want for Christmas this year? Do you have anything on your wish list? No, nah, I don't. You know, just just health. That's all we want. Just everybody to be healthy. You want my family members to be That's taken it. care of everybody. Just everybody to continue to live prosperously. That's it. There we go. Uh, that, from your lips to God's ears. All right, let's uh, let's get out of here. Thank you guys so much uh, for listening, for downloading. I want to thank Nabil uh, for producing, putting uh, all this together for us each and every week. Very thankful for him and the job that he does. Uh, that's going to do it for us. Thank you guys so much for listening to Move the Sticks, presented by AARP. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.